symbolize what his manner in life was all about. Let's look down to verse 21. We find his manner there. In verse 21, he says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. In other words, testifying to everybody. That was the, the world at his time. He said, testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to get into that verse more as we make our way down the text. But Paul said, listen, you know what my manner is. My manner has been testifying of that which Jesus has done in my life to everybody in my world. That's what I've been living for. That was a great thing for him to be able to say to that church. You guys know. You know what my consistent priority has been. It's sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Most of you, I'm sure, have heard of the Salvation Army they do a lot of good work. And years ago, they were started by a very godly man by the name of William Booth. He was a man that loved Jesus. And he loved people that had yet to meet Jesus. And he did so much to share the gospel with folks. And, and the Salvation Army was, was established to reach out to people that in their time they referred to as the down and outers, the, the downtrodden in society. And, and, and a story was told by a man by the name of Bramwell. Bramwell was the son of the founder of the Salvation Army. And, and Bramwell tells of the story when he was walking down the sidewalk one day with his father. And he asked his father this. He said, Father, are we going to meet with our people? He was referring to others who were involved in the Salvation Army. Father, are we going to meet with our people? And, and Bramwell recounted, while as a boy that question was asked, his father immediately, with his son's hand in his, he, he stepped across the street, got on the sidewalk on the other side of the street, turned in the first door available to him, and he walked with his son right into a bar. And his son was young, but he was old enough to know that wasn't a place where his father should be. And, and he talked about that memory, and, and he talked about how he could smell the liquor in the air, and he could smell the smoke in the air as it was filling the room. And he, and he said he could see people who were clearly and obviously drunk. And in that moment, that father looked at his son, and he said, Son, these are our people. What was he saying? He said, son, we, we get together in that room with other people that look like us and believe like us and talk like us and act like us. But we do that because of those who have yet to meet Jesus. They're the ones we're doing this for. You see, those that make a great impact in their life have a consistent priority. I love that Paul could say, you all know that I've been living for the same priority since you met me. He said, nothing's changed in my life in that regard. You've seen that. I've never lost focus on what I'm here to do. In fact, he shared Jesus with others, the Bible says, at all seasons. That's just how Paul lived. That's just what he did. It was always about sharing Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is teaching Timothy how to be a faithful preacher. And he says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. And Paul was a man that lived what he preached. As a follower of Jesus, he felt a moral obligation. He even called it a debt to take the blessing of the knowledge of the gospel and find ways to share that good news with others. We see a consistent priority, but we also find in this passage a compelling purpose. I want you to allow your eyes to go to verse 19 in our passage. It's important to me that you see this with your eyes. As Paul continued here, he shared how he went about his work. In verse 19, he said this, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me. Now, 
we see how Paul went about his work. He tells us he went about it humbly. He went about it with, with compassion. And, and he had an emphasis on a holy life, dealing wisely with the temptations that, that came. But, but listen, we would miss something if that's the conclusion to which we came. He did all of those things because of something else that he held as a conviction. I want you to notice in that verse, he said, serving the Lord. You know, there are some decisions you can make in life that are so big, they just make other decisions up for themselves in time. Paul said, I'm going to do what I do for the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. And that then had an impact on his humility and, and his compassion and on his consistency in general. And, and so Paul said, I want you to know my life is to be about serving the Lord. He did not view his life as a reservoir seeking to hold on to all the good things he could find. He saw his life as a river through which God could bless others and help others. Friends, I need to share with you this today. We need to understand if we're doing what we do for people, we will be disappointed every time and we'll quit along the way. I've already told you today that I love our church family and I mean that. But I want you to know if I did what I did just for our church family alone, there'd be a reason routinely for me to say, I don't want to do that anymore. And you could say the same for the people in your life. Paul said, no, I've got a compelling purpose. It's not just the needs of the lost. It's, it's a love I have for the Lord. And more than that, he would say, it's the love that he has for me. But Paul said, my purpose is serving the Lord. Some of you have heard me tell the story of when our church was just a few weeks old. And man, you talk about humble beginnings. Um, I, I prayed all the time that, uh, Lord, just make sure there's somebody there. I, I told you, I, you know, I have a recurring nightmare. Nobody comes to church. And this morning, I thought that nightmare almost came to fruition. I came to church early myself. My next thing was to make sure my pants were on. That's my other nightmare. You know, I come to church, I forget to put my pants on or something. But uh, at any rate, when our church was just getting started, I remember we were a few weeks in and, and um, uh, you know, it seems like people starting churches today, they just know more, at least than I did back then, that's for sure. And, and, um, and so we... Uh, got going and I, I i was everything i was a chief cook and bottle washer and janitor and all of it and i, and I was loving it i was happy about it but uh, i remember we met for a service maybe three weeks in two weeks in and uh, there was a guest that was on the patio out, out in front of the community center where we were meeting and i was just so happy for anybody to come and here's a guest and so i went over and said hello and tried to be kind and and uh, he introduced himself to me. He was the pastor of a, of a local church. And I, I'd heard his name, heard good things. I'd heard of the church. I had admiration for the church. And, and he told me, he said, we've got a guest speaker at our church today. So I thought I'd come over here. And here's how he said it. I thought I'd come check the competition out. And I remember when he said that, there was just something about it. I thought, I've never viewed you as a comp competition to me, you know. Uh, I, I didn't think that's quite how it worked. But at any rate, that's what he said. And I said, well, man, church is getting ready to start. And I mean, I was the song leader back then. That's back when we had good music around here, by the way, okay? And so uh, I was the song leader. And, and I said, why, why don't you come in and find a seat? He said, no, I'll stand in the back. And uh, I said, all right. Well, I had to go get started. And so I, I walked to the little podium in the community center there, and I, I welcomed everybody. And, and I said, uh, man, why don't you turn to page 316? We're going to sing Victory in Jesus. And there I was. I heard an old. I mean, I was doing my best, you know. And, and I saw this guy standing in the back. And uh, as he just kind of listened, he got a smirk on his face. We went into the next song, and then it turned into a chuckle. And uh, I kid you not, that guy just started laughing at me. The back wall of the community center was glass. He walked out the double door on this side and I could see him walk all the way down the sidewalk to where his car was parked and uh, he was laughing uh, the whole way he went now I've heard that about 90% of our communication is nonverbal and laughter can communicate 
And if you'll allow me a little bit of judgment as I sought to discern what it was he was communicating to me, I don't think his laugh was just, boy, that guy can't sing. I would have joined in that laugh with him. It was a different laugh. It was a cutting laugh that was not hard for me to pick up on. A, a laugh that thought, this kid's an idiot. He has no idea how dumb he is. He's going to fail in the worst way possible. I considered him competition. What a joke that is to me. This guy's a loser. That's what I heard when I observed laughter in that moment. And I've got enough in me that is in you to not enjoy moments like that. It wasn't the bright spot of my day. It certainly wasn't the highlight of, of uh, that Sunday but you know what was more important out of that whole experience for me was a conversation I had with an older pastor afterwards who called to say, how did your day go at church? And I told him about it, and then I told him the story I just told you, and that pastor got real uh, curt with me. He said, Steve, that man didn't call you to the work, and that man can't keep you from the work. And that was a lesson I needed to learn. People are going to have opinions. Some people are going to say you did good today and other people are going to say you did, you did bad today. I understand that. Uh, the, real, the, the reality is sometimes people can be discouraged, discouraging. But if we're doing what we're doing for Jesus Christ, like Paul, if we're saying, you know what, I'm serving the Lord, we never need to feel badly about any of that. You see, uh, I'm being obedient when, when I invite other people to church so they can come uh, to hear more about the Lord. Uh, and God is pleased with that. God's pleased when I invite my friends or serve as a witness. God is pleased when I invite my friends to church and they come. God is pleased when I invite my friends to church and they don't come. The point I'm trying to get across to you today is this. If you're a believer, God is pleased. Just rest in that and know that you're accepted in Him. Paul said, you know, I'm doing what I do for Jesus Christ. And Paul was thankful for who Jesus is and for what Jesus had done. He was compelled to live for a purpose that was greater than himself. He was not self-focused. He was not even others-focused or seeker-focused. He was Savior-focused and said, I'm planning and orchestrating my life in a way that I believe would be honoring to the Lord. I serve the Lord. And that leads to this third thought this morning. As we look at Paul's life, we see a clear presentation. A clear presentation. I want you to look in verses 20 and 21, if you would. The Apostle Paul says here, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way Paul here could say to this church, he said, You know that what I shared with you is profitable profitable. In fact, the word profitable in this context means appropriate for achieving a desired end. And Paul's ultimate end was that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so they could know the joy of sins forgiven, the joy of a relationship with God, the hope of a home in heaven. Paul said, listen, I want you to know I didn't keep back anything that was profitable to you. I shared with you what God would have me to say. And he used a great phrase here. His message was repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says here. All right, Paul, what, what profitable message did you deliver? And Paul would say, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I love our Bible. I believe every word of it. If it says on your Bible cover, Holy Bible, I even believe those words. I'm thankful today that we have a reliable Bible. But sometimes it's helpful for me when I'm wanting to maybe get the background of an expression or a colloquialism 
to go to the languages of, of the Bible. And in, and in this case, the language was Greek, specifically Koine Greek, a, a Greek that was used at this time. And, and as we think of what it is that Paul said, I looked at those words, this matter of, of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was significant that in the language of the New Testament, the word repentance and faith were tied together by just a single article. An article, they were tied together. And, and the idea and the way this was constructed is, is the idea that this matter of repentance and faith, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. It's what happens when somebody comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Repentance is the idea of turning. And you can't turn to God in faith unless you're turning from wherever it is that your faith is placed at this moment. Trusting in your way of life or trusting in this or that. When you, when you turn to Jesus and trust Him for your Savior, you, you're turning and you're turning in faith toward God. You're, you're turning and, and Paul says, this was my message. It's all about turning from whatever you're trusting in and turning to Jesus in faith. This is a uni universal message that we all need. And friends, I want you to know today, the Bible is very clear on this. There are not two ways to a relationship with God. Everyone comes to Jesus the same way, and it's through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That was the entire message Paul preached. This was the profitable message. And you know what I've had to learn in my life? That not everything that is profitable is popular. So I guess it's good that Paul was not a politician who was seeking to be popular. He was a preacher who was seeking, rather, to be profitable, to share truth that would be helpful. The Bible in Acts 20, verse 27, Paul said this. He said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Friends, when Paul talked to people about Jesus, no one ever had to wonder when he was done what he was getting at or what he was trying to say because he got at it and he flat said it and people knew. And I know we're living in a day and time where all that's in the Bible is not popular to all the people that live in our world. And frankly, there is a temptation. Uh, I, I'm not quite as dumb as I look. That's good to hear, isn't it? And I want you to know I'm very aware there are some topics found in the course of the Word of God that aren't very popular today. I could just skip around them or avoid them. Or, or maybe just deal real lightly and quickly and power through them. But if we understand we're serving God and we understand the value of His Word, we're going to make sure that we have a very clear message. And the Apostle Paul was a man, especially when it comes to the Gospel, who is very clear it's turning in faith to Jesus and Him alone for soul's salvation. And then we'll see the fourth and final thought today. We see a consuming passion. You see everybody's eyeballs for a minute. Maybe you're here today and, um, and in your heart you're thinking, I don't even know where I'm at in terms of Christianity or relationship with God. And I would say this, you're among friends and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're encouraged. And I hope something happens uh, helps you to learn something that you find helpful and useful. But we know the church inten is intended to be a gathering of people of faith. And I'm preaching today very much to people of faith. And um, I would hope that if we're gathered here today as people of faith, that we'd understand I've really tried to do my best to do what the Bible says. And, and the Bible says, and I quote, that I'm to read the word, give the sense, and cause the people to understand. And I would hope today, if you're a Christian, that you would, you would agree we've read the word. 
And I've done my best to give the context, gave you a little background on Paul's life and where he was at, even geographically, what was happening and, and what was going on in his life and the life of the church to, to give the context. But, but again, I, I want you to know that the interpretation of a passage is of great importance, but if we don't make an application, we'll just leave having learned a little bit that makes our head more full, but it never does get to our heart. And frankly, I'm not interested in just some intellectual thing. I want to have a real live relationship with God that's growing and thriving because of what it is I'm learning in the word of God. I, I would hope that I would hope that those in here that know Jesus today would say, Pastor, yep, I have no problem saying I think to this point you've been pretty much right on. I, I mean, you, you've gone through, you've defined some words for us, you've, you've read the word, you gave the context, but friends, there's a final point in this message today that we have to get if we ever want to be a church like those in the first century that changed the world in which they were living. I want to remind you, this was Paul's last message to this church that he loved. And Paul used his final address to talk about something that was of the utmost importance to him. It's been said, a man's last words are his first concern. And Paul let this church know his heart. And his heart, in this case, was just like the heart of Jesus, who as the church was just getting started, and Jesus in Acts 1 and verse 8 said this, you shall, be, uh, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus said, church, I'm getting ready to ascend back to the right hand of God the Father, but before before I go, I want you to know there's a must in your life if you're an authentic follower of Jesus. He said, you, you are to be witnesses unto me. Tell people who I am and what I've done in your life. And do that whatever city you're in. Do it in the cities into which you go. Make a concerted effort to spread the good news. But Jesus said, I want you to tell others about me. And the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus said, listen, you're not going to see my face anymore. But there's one thing I want to tell you before I go. Don't stop this matter of getting the good news of Jesus out to those in the world in which you're living. The point we most need to see from the life of the Apostle Paul is this consuming passion that brought about a sense of urgency in his life. It was with Paul from the time he met Jesus as his Savior until his dying breath. He wanted people to come to know Jesus personally. And Coastline, I want you to know we need that sense of urgency today as well. We have a fall season of ministry coming. And it's a season we need to seize for the glory of God. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up and carry out the commission and commands of Jesus. This is our time. This is our place. And we are His people called to do His will. October 7th, first Sunday in October, is the day we call Open House. You say, well, what's significant about October 7th? Nothing. It was an arbitrary date upon a calendar. We put an X on that date and said, listen, if we're going to work in a unified way, it might be helpful to identify a day, a point in time, where we could work together and collaborate and use the gifts and talents that God has given us as individuals so that together we can seek to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And so we're having this special day, Open House. And, and I want you to know about Open House. It's, it's more than just a day. It's the first Sunday of October, which is the first Sunday of the last quarter of the year. It's the doorway that leads into the holiday season. And in a real significant way, we can have a great victory for the Lord on Open House. But that just kicks the door open for the rest of this year. And it can make an impact for the Lord in that way. Somebody say, well, what's Open House? 
Open house is my best attempt as your pastor to give you great excuses for inviting your friends to church. That's what it's all about. I'm giving you an excuse. We're creating some things, some place, some excitement so that you can invite your friends. On, on that day, I'll be starting a new teaching series called Life Without Limits. And we all face limits in life. And I believe this is a series that's got a hook on it for everybody because we all know what it is to just feel like, I don't know if I'm going to go any further in this area. Maybe you, like me, have had a time in your life where it wasn't a lack of desire or a lack of motivation. You just didn't know what to do. And did you know there was a time in the Word of God where a very sincere man literally told God, I don't know what to do? The first message in this series is going to be what to do when you don't know what to do. Maybe it's a matter of fear. Fear is an epidemic in our society today. Maybe it's hurts that you've gone through in your life and disappointments that you've experienced. It, it could be any number of things. But this, this series, I believe, is going to be used of God. And of course, we're going to have a special guest on Open House, Kim Fook. And listen, friends, her testimony is going to absolutely touch your life and bless you greatly. She was the photo of the year for Time Magazine for all the wrong reasons. Her life was scarred, not just on the outside by napalm, but on the inside. And she carried bitterness and unforgiveness. And when she came to know Jesus, she understood that the way to remove the limit in her life was to become a forgiving person. She had to let some things go. And it's a powerful thing when someone who's been through the trauma that she has can stand up and tell you that Jesus helped her to get victory in that area of her life. She'll be a, an encouragement to you. Of course, on that day, we'll have dynamic music, and uh, our music team will be together with the full choir. Our Elevate Youth Group on Saturday the 6th is going to have a one-night youth service. It's going to be for 6th through 12th graders. They'll ha have a great time there. The kids are going to have their Choctober. They'll enjoy that while they have a good time learning about God. There will be a meal served after the services on Open House Sunday. And again, someone could say, well, wait, what are we doing this for again? We've created a moment and a point in time we've said listen let's make a goal of that moment let's work together let's do our best for the Lord and, and it doesn't matter who you talk to there's something for everybody you can invite someone and say hey we've got some for the kids and the teenagers and you're gonna enjoy it we got a meal we can enjoy together as well so someone can say well pastor exactly what's our goal as a church and then how can we be involved in that I'll share a few thoughts with you and we'll be done our first goal as we make our way to open house and begin the fall season of ministry is saturation. Our city consists of 40.6 miles, about 65,000 homes. And my prayer is that everyone in our region, specifically in our season, would at least know there's a church here that wants to love God and a church that loves them, and we want to saturate this area. We're going to have mailings reach out to homes and businesses. Uh, we have a targeted social media campaign, and as I say that, i got to laugh. I really don't even know what that means, but Ryan knows what that means, okay? And so you guys need to like stuff and share it and do whatever you do online to let people know, hey, here's what I'm into, and, and this is important. Uh, we have a goal of personally delivering 25,000 invitations to people in our community. Our community consists of about 65,000 homes. And in the course of a year, we seek to get to every home in our community every year. And let me tell you, 25,000 homes is a pretty big deal. But here's how we get that done. 
We've broken our community of about 65,000 homes into 100 home increments. We have about 650 maps consisting of almost 100 doors for each map. And for this time of the year, we'll have about 250 maps consisting of approximately 100 homes. The map will tell you where to go as you leave today in the lobby outside there the courtyard there will be a stack of about a hundred invitations it'll have a map with a rubber band on it that will lead you to approximately a hundred homes and if we work together we can saturate this area with invitations that can help people saturation here's our second goal identification how many of you have realized that in general our world has a low view of christianity have any of you noticed that there was a time where being a pastor was kind of like a, you know, that was like a good thing, you know, in a community. They thought, you know, pastors, that, that's, a, that's a good person. I want you to know pastors are just at the bottom now. I've got nothing against used car salesmen, but in general in our community, uh, people haven't had a high view of them. And pastors are below them, all right? The view of Christians in the church has changed. And one reason I can tell you that that is, it's our own fault many times. But there are other times where the world has done a better job telling the world who we are than we've done explaining to others who we are. And a 